1: Hello, everyone. How are you? I hope you're having the most fabulous, terrific Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday. It is Thursday. And um, I'm very excited today. We have a great guest, Shelley F. Knight. Shelley is a registered nurse, clinical hypnotherapist, and a writer who provides an eclectic blend of clinical and spiritual expertise in her specialist subjects of positive psychology, spirituality, and end of life. She is the author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book, I love that, and is a freelance writer for international magazines. Armed with a first-class degree in adult nursing and a plethora of holistic qualifications, Shelley is focused on encouraging individuals on their journey towards positive changes, particularly following times of loss in their life. Welcome, Shelley. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. Good morning and good afternoon to you because you're coming in from the UK. So. <laughs> it's I'm, almost good evening here. <laughs> exactly. I'm <laughs> oh, well, so happy to have you here. And so let's talk about what happened to, to start you on your spiritual path. Well, quite a few things.
2: <laughs> Life's thrown quite a few curveballs at me. But the major ones would probably be my stepdad, Passed in suddenly, uh, New Year's Day 2005. Uh, I think any death's hard, but sudden death kind of feels very robbed. So my dad died. And then fast forward about nine years, huge facility problems. So they're probably the two biggest curveballs I've been dealt,
1: which is more than enough. <laughs> it is more than enough. And there are people have, like, who just have a plethora of balls, to, you know, Coming at them, but so what about this? Sent you on your spiritual path, like how did you need to start searching for? Is there more to life?
2: Yeah, my dad, um, a brilliant soul, absolutely brilliant, and he used to always say that life goes on. So any trauma you would tell him as a teenager or like a school kid to be like, yeah, life goes on, Shelley. Life goes on. But then his life didn't go on and it was, well, I just make sure hit rock bottom. And I think the first year, certainly the hardest, I mean, it's 15 years on now. Um, first year is the hardest. You have the seasons of grief. We have to go for every season without them, every birthday, anniversary and Christmas. But then life does go on. So even in heaven, he's probably saying, told you so. Um, <laughs> 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 so, yeah, life goes on. And. You know, things have happened since then, and life does truly go on. But I think when we're in any situation, good or bad, it's hard to see the other side. So, I've just started clinging to life and getting very curious.
1: And so, did it start you, you know, looking at, at, at what happens at to people after they transition, or did it? Did you say there's got to be more and start researching or were you do, working on with the mainstream celebrity, you know, teachers, healers, guides, thought leaders? What actually happened, um,
2: I was working as a nurse. It was New Year's Day in 2005, and my mom called the ward, and she's, um, believe it, or not quite good at breaking bad news, but she just said, Dad's dead. So it was really hard, rubbish, <laughs> breaking bad news. But what I did... A few months later, because I didn't want to be the nurse that got that call, I actually went to start working in palliative care, so oncology, hematology, and end of life, which may seem quite strange for a healing. But actually, I got to work and speak with people who had a chance to say goodbye, which I didn't have with my dad. His death was sudden. So it came a healing place. But when I was there, it's just the most privileged place in the world to learn what's important in life, what we regret in life, what we shouldn't regret in life, how to live your life. And it's just being part of the family. And we're going to get a little bit more kooky. What happens to the body? I can see souls and things like that. So it was just, I suppose something beautiful came to something painful, like my dad's death.
1: I Do you feel, because as I'm he- hearing this, I'm hearing that there has been, by, by being... Privileged enough to be with all these individuals during their time of their loved ones' transition, that you are able to learn so much about what happens on the deathbed. What happens? Um, I don't know if a lot of your, you are know, people that you were with the, as they were transitioning. They were awake for a bit and then they sort of closed their eyes. Or my like my mother, may she rest in peace. She was on machines. You know, and so there was no talking. There was, personally, I I personally feel that the machines just kept her heart going, yeah. but that she had transitioned already. Yes. They were just—it was just for—I hate to put it this way because I don't mean to sound callous, but it was just for having to go through the movements of watching you turn off the machine and then watching life leave her. Yeah, absolutely. So that, she, that, yeah. So she couldn't say anything, but no. if, but you know, if you, I think that being privileged, if you hear people say how they felt as they are transitioning, or saying "I love you" or goodbye, their goodbyes yes. to their family members, that I can imagine as being a tremendously important imprint on people in transition. Absolutely, yeah. And so I'm asking, I guess the question I'm having with this long dissertation is, you know, is there something that somebody said that was really poignant to you that really got you to say, oh, that was the most amazing goodbye or last words or whatever they might say? Is there something that sticks in your mind about that?
2: I've seen it time and time again, and not just as a nurse, but as like a granddaughter and all the other roles that we have in life, where people just say, I'm ready to go now. Not everyone, some people will fight to the end, but I've seen a lot of people who say they're ready to go, and it's if they're being met by someone that's already on the other side. There's like a stage of relaxation, or they'll be talking to people leading, you know, the days leading up to their death, that they can see their loved one, long lost friend and things like that. And I think I probably always did believe I've had quite an open upbringing, but there is absolutely some reassurance that life does go on and we're never going to be alone when that point comes for us will always be met.
1: It's true. I agree with you on that. And I just, I just find, I, I you know, I think about being in, in your situation and part of it being very heartbreaking because it tugs so deeply. I can't imagine not getting emotionally involved with the goodbye, but what a gift also to be able to be there to support the, the family members but also support being an, another person of love, sending off the person in transition.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful. And because my background was oncology and hematology, so it's like the cancers. And so you kind of have a prognosis. So you have a chance to say goodbyes and get the people together and things like that. And you become part of the family and it's absolutely beautiful. But I've cried so many times, Marla, so many times, you know, especially when people were younger than me. Or the people that always had the big, you know, the big wishes and the dreams, but always put it off for another day, and then they didn't get there. So, if they're young or haven't experienced much,
1: they are the painful ones, yeah. The ones with the regrets, because that's what, what wishes that they would have done, but they've put off. There's regrets attached to not living your life to your fullest. Would you agree with that? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I speak about regrets from what I learned from my patients in my book, just because it's I've never been asked on someone's deathbed, could you fetch me my new designer shoes or my certain car or that certain outfit? It's always, could you find that person I never said sorry to? Could you just tell her I love her? It's always people and pets and connections. It's never, you know, the money, the status.
1: Exactly. And and I think that people tend to forget about that. And I think that it's an amazing privilege position you were in. And that you're able to share it in your book. So do you have a spiritual practice that you that you work with? I do, yeah. So every
2: morning I wake up and I do about a 10-minute yoga session with my husband, and it's just really nice. We're quite a busy household. We have four children and a dog and fish and everything. <laughs> so <laughs> we start the day well that we reconnect with yoga every morning for 10 minutes, and then I draw a card, a tarot card, to sort of forewarn me, what to look out for on the day ahead. And then everyone's up by their mala and it's chaos. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go to the end of the day and then I do meditation every night and a little gratitude for the day. Good or bad day, I have to give gratitude.
1: Don't you, though? I'm, I'm a believer of gratitude. I do gratitude in the morning, every morning, and I do my gratitude as I'm going to sleep. Yeah. You know, the lights are out and then it's okay. I'm so thankful for this and that. And because I even think of something negative, and I like to say perceived negative, because I don't think that it's, you know, negativity is perception, because yeah. it's also a catalyst for growth or a stepping stone to growth. So for me, you know, if something happens that I didn't like, it's like, okay, thank you for that. And thank you for whatever's attached to it the lesson, the yeah. growth piece, the information, whatever it might be.
2: Yeah, I absolutely love that and absolutely agree, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and so on an author, I mean, you talk about positive changes in, you know, in your book and, yeah. and I love the title. I like the self-kick <laughs> part a lot. Um, so, you know, what do you do to turn your negative days around or your perceived negative days, as I'll call them?
2: You kind of just have to accept it for what it is. And it's really hard when you're in it. Like, if we go back to my dad's death, you know, is there a positive in it? I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> but actually, I went on to help so many people with death. I talk openly about death. I probably appreciate my mum more. I spend, you know, more time, with my children saying, I love you. So you do learn. But I think when we're going through things, good and bad, there will be a lesson in there. And you just. I always want to, I say to people, like, if I had a magic wand and zoomed it over your life, what would you want to get rid of? And they'll be able to find one area they don't like. And that's what I use as a starting point. So I don't, you know, someone's unhappy, I don't want them to change their job, money, car, (laughs) face and everything. Just choose one area of your life and make a change. If you want to lose weight, start with a healthier breakfast or walk the dog. So it's not massive. They're little bite-sized suggestions.
1: I love it because bite-sized suggestions are not overwhelming. And so, for example, losing weight—we'll talk about that. It is not an easy thing because there's so many temptations. There's temptation <laughs> everywhere, you know. TV, radio, billboards. I mean, you, you're just driving down the street and you have your restaurants. Unless you live way in the country and you don't have any restaurants near you, that's another story. But <laughs> you know, but but. but Taking the baby steps, the, the little bites, are what make it happen. You know, instead yeah. of trying to do something major. That's why New Year's resolutions to me always tend to be failure because you're trying to do some big, gigantic bite thing. You know, because it's New Year's. It's first the year. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to stop eating chocolate. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And then, you know, life attacks you. And I shouldn't say attacks you because it's not an attack, but it happens. And all of a sudden, you're, you go back to your old habits of stress eating or Absolutely. of working out, where if you do attainable goals,
2: yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed, and then you feel negative, and then your self-confidence and your esteem all go. So, don't – I think you have to dream big in life. I always say, if you're not scared by your dreams, dream a little bit bigger. <laughs> but I think when you're setting little personal goals, just start really small, really, really small. You're not going to get overwhelmed. You're not going to disappoint
1: yourself. And the other thing too is, and I, th- I hope you'll agree with this, if you, if something should happens and you fall off the wagon, whatever the wagon might be, could be the sugar wagon or the <laughs> cigarette wagon, whatever it is, don't beat yourself up about it. Just pick yourself up, brush yourself off and start again. Yeah.
2: You've tried. That's more than most.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, just keep it uh, going. So wh- why do you think people ha- tend to fail to make their positive changes? I think probably two reasons. I think probably one of the reasons I wrote the book, people just
2: don't know where to start because you know who you are. Even if you're in a mess and unhappy, there's a comfort and a knowing in that. Mm-hmm. So I think not knowing where to start and then that old, I don't know if you say over there, but better the devil you know than you don't know. So some people yes. you know, would rather have unhappy because that's the cloak they're used to wearing rather than, you know, dream big and flying. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so fear of the unknown will not know where to start.
1: I think that you're right about that. The fear of the unknown it holds a lot of people back or the fear that they're going to have somebody say, you can't do it, then you try, and then they say, I told you so. Yeah, Instead of Yeah, <laughs> huge. You know, the I told you so stuff. And I think, I feel that... When people, if if the people around you will stop saying "I told you so" and just say, "Get a boy for doing this" or "Get a girl for doing this," give you a pat on the back for making the effort. Absolutely. I mean, how many you know? And I used to think of failure as a really shameful situation. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and you know, I've had my (laughs) my ups and my downs. I mean, I've had five businesses, and you know, but knowing that when you fail or if something doesn't go the way you want it to and you have to shift courses, like close a business down and start something new or get a job, it's not a failure. It's a stepping stone to growth. Yeah. It's a learning. Absolutely. And it brings more positivity to your life. Agree or? Yeah, totally. I
2: think if you're failing, then at least it shows you're trying new things. I'd happily fail every day. I'm all right with that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I'd rather try and, and fail or try and not get the brass ring that's attached to that effort instead yeah. of calling it a failure than not trying at all. Because now I can look back on my life and say, but I did make the effort. I did do this. I did do this. I did do this. And yeah. it makes you realize how resourceful you are. Absolutely. I think we should rebrand it and just say that everything's an experience. Maybe it's not a mistake.
2: Nope. Not a it's, ex- it's just an experience.
1: I love that because we do I that. feel we're the same way. Let's do it. <laughs> we It's t shirts. It's all an experience. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. I love up that. shop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and if it fails, it's okay, our little shop.
1: <laughs> That's okay because we did it. Yes, we we're alive. Know. We're alive. We didn't know, and we can do this. That's so funny. But it's so true about that. Um, I'm thinking about this. You know, about people failing because uh, to make positive changes. Do you also feel that it's, yes, it's the devil, you know, and I agree with that, the people, but what else would, would stop somebody from wanting to move forward?
2: I think you were right when you said it's other people's judgments. It's not, you know, I think we all want to move on, live our best life. But it is the fear of others. I mean, I've probably got a lot less friends now when I started my journey, you know, because people just say like, I don't know, you have to sort of meet someone's vibration or energy, don't you?
1: You have to come. You have to to meet them where they are. Yes.
2: Yeah. And some people just think, what on earth are you doing? And sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm smiling and having a go. But I think we lose people along the way if we do grow.
1: I, sometimes, you you do, and here's the thing, this is another piece of loss, right? It's a lost relationship. Yeah. And sometimes we just need to graciously and gratefully let it go, because here's what will tend to happen. They're not going to rise up to your level, Mm. and they'll just be sort of like that that balloon string pulling you down to theirs. Yeah. And why would we want to do that when you're living in high vibe, you know, a high vibe life? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So it can be lonely when you grow, but I think it's It'd probably probably be beautiful on the other side. <laughs> but then again, the old adage when one, one door closes, another one opens. Yes, absolutely. And how many wonderful people and opportunities came in after the other ones stepped away? Yeah, because you try new things, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, let's stop here. And um, because we've got a break coming up. And we will be right back to talk with Shelly about more about her book, and her background and some of her um, experiences. So stick around and we come back and listen to Shelly and I speak some more.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. My effing long journey to loving myself, a guide to a shorter path, is an account of Marla Goldberg's transformational journey and a guide to some of the most powerful TTTs, or tips, tools, and techniques that she learned along the way. These TTTs taught her how to release anger and learn how to forgive ultimately finding total self-acceptance and self-love. Learn to release anger, frustration, and stress. Learn to forgive others and yourself. Go from self-loathing to self-love. Pick up your copy of Marla's book by visiting marlagoldberg.net.
3: Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you define the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Take a closer look at yourself in the present. Your body has its own GPS system designed to help you follow your intuition, align your thoughts and set your own course. Host Dealey is here to be your external guide to this discovery. Take a break, a mindful space to pause, and help bring forth the balance that your life deserves. Listen live for mindful space to pause every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You're listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call in to the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's one 888 346 if you'd rather send an email the address is guided spirit conversations at gmail.com now back to this week's program
1: hello everyone thank you for sticking around we're back with shelly knight and shelly is a registered nurse clinical hypnotherapist and author speaker and she also has a plethora of spiritual experience under her belt as well. She has just written this book, Positive Changes, a Self-Kick book. And uh, Shelly and I have been talking about a plethora of things. A lot of things have to do with um, transition, passing. And, but I, before we get into another, more of the conversation, if you want to look up Shelly and what she does, She's at www. shelly s h e l l e y f like Frank Knight k n i g h t dot com, and Shelly's email is shelly f knight s h e l l e y f k n i g h t at gmail dot com, and you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn under her name Shelly F Knight. Welcome, Shelly. Hello. Okay, so what? Can we, let's talk about an inspiring story you can share with our audiences. Our audience of my life. Yeah, of uh, your journey. Of you know, you there's so much inspiration that you've experienced. What well, what story stands out for you? I think probably
2: how well the how the book came about was my. Daisy journey. So as you can tell, it's a happy ending, so bear with me. <laughs> so um, I was pregnant at 40 and I'm not good with fertility. It's not my forte in life. I've had a few ups and downs and uh, yeah, I was pregnant with Daisy at 40 and then at the 20 week scan was told she wasn't going to make it and that we'd have to terminate her. But I'm quite, I don't want to say I'm spiritual, but um I don't know, clairvoyant, clairaudient, I don't know. But I had a vision, a recurring vision for many, many years of a dark haired girl to come. And I have lots of blonde children, but this, she was a dark haired little girl to come. So it was in this awful place at 20 weeks. We could see the scam wasn't right from a nursing background. Um, and we was told to terminate her. And I couldn't, I said, I had really bad fertility problems. I don't stay pregnant very well. Um, 40, so it's kind of my last chance. So kind of took this spiritual vision modeler and just trusted it and went with it. And she's five now. She is Daisy, hence the Daisy journey. She totally rules our house along with the cockapoo puppy. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, and she's amazing. She's confident, sassy, pretty healthy actually as well. Um, but the pregnancy, I mean, while I can be happy and bouncy now was – the hugest, the most damaging psychological journey that you wouldn't really wish on anyone. She was like, because she was like our fourth child, I showed quite easily my bump. I just tried to hide it because it was like a time bomb. Um, I am quite, probably as sassy as Daisy, so I got a second (laughs) medical opinion and she was taken on by a specialist hospital and you say she's here to live the story. And that's how I came to write my story, the book Positive Changes, self-kick book. Because to have like, I don't know, heartbreaking news that your child's not going to make it. And then we had to tell our other children that she wasn't going to come to be a baby, but then have a spiritual vision and run with it. It's, you know, it's a mucky time. And so I overcome a lot of things, tried everything, spiritual, meditation, affirmation, psychic surgery, um, anything and everything. And we made it through. So she's probably one of my biggest achievements, more than my degree and everything. She's probably my (laughs) hugest achievement. And then I wrote a book. So,
1: yeah, which is a big journey. It is a big journey. When you got the news, did you change your lifestyle at all? Big time. So I was, um,
2: I think I was just like a, I'd gone left nursing first time round, was just a receptionist. Um, you know, kind of saving up the money, despite everything my palliative patients had told me, I'd kind of slip back into that, let's say for a rainy day mentality. But with that news, I had to kind of lie to my body really, Marla, I had to say, it's well, it's doing the job really well, you're healthy, you're happy, you're beautiful. And I did a lot of colour visualisation, I became very spiritual, you know, almost kooky levels of spiritual. <laughs> not just like one meditation a week. It's like daily I'll be talking to this bump using color, having a crystal, meditation, visualizations, journaling,
1: anything. But it worked. I mean, it here worked. she is five years later She's or five. six years later. She is, you know, this amazing being. And the story you shared, you know, shared with me, tell me about her personality. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, not a, not a wilting daisy at all. She is, <laughs> she is out there and vibrant. Yeah.
2: Maybe I should call her Sunflower. <laughs>
1: Name be. change. Sunny for short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like so that. funny. Um, so you're an author, you're a writer, you're a speaker, and a qualified nurse in clinical hypnotherapy. When did you leave nursing and why? What was the catalyst to... Yeah, the final time. So
2: last year, we had more curveballs thrown at us and our eldest was diagnosed with many, many sensory and neurotypical um, disorders, if that's the right term. And I was kind of juggling, (laughs) a bit of your plate spinning, kind of juggling, plate spinning, (laughs) and it was something it had to give. So nursing went, but it was kind of similar to why I left first time round. the Uh, watch what you say but i think as you evolve spiritually or maybe it's because i'm getting older that the western medicine medical framework and the toxicity like treating the symptoms not the cause kind of thing just didn't resonate with me anymore And i got frustrated that they sort of give out lots of tablets rather than taking the time to ask someone why did you drink why did you take that tablet you know so i think I don't know. I think maybe my soul had evolved to a point that I could no longer nurse on a very Western medical level.
1: I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense because just going straight Western can be limiting. And you're right. They tend to just do the symptoms and they don't do the whole person where you save a lot more time and money if you take care of the whole person and everything that's going on yeah. rather than, like you're saying, tossing some pills at them. Yeah. So, well, there's always holistic or yeah. alternative, you know, routes to go. Um, yeah. It's probably the
2: daily journey as well. Like I was told by one hospital determinator, but I tried everything spiritual. I guess you could say it's a really poor research because you would never known if she'd have made it if I hadn't have done all the spiritual things. But they kind of gave up on her and I knew there was other ways so I think Do there's it. probably a they change that it. happened
1: around there as well. That that I could see being one of the biggest, especially when they said no, it's not going to happen. And through all the efforts you did, and you did a lot of efforts, and they ended up being heroic efforts because they're heroic for Daisy. Yeah. That you talked to Daisy, you told her that she's healthy. You told your body that it was healthy, and that baby, you know, Daisy was going to be okay. And I mean, did you did you name her Daisy before you came out? So you were saying, calling her by her name when you were pregnant? No, she was actually called Hope. Oh,
2: <laughs> that's so yeah. lovely. Yeah, so she was called Hope all the way through. And then she so nearly kept the name, but it kind of had a sadness attached to it by then. Whereas Daisy, the definition of Daisy means day's eyes, start of a new day. And we just knew whatever happened after she touched the earthly plane, every day we spent with her would be grateful. So she became Daisy or Day's eye.
1: I love that. And what came to me when we were just when I was listening to this is days ease. You know how they say dis-ease? Yeah. Like day's ease. So having easy days. Yeah. So should every day should just be easy and know that that each day is a blessing because guess what? You're a miracle. Yeah. And you're both miracles at that because oh, your body was she- a miracle. But seriously, your body had to perform a miracle to, you know, have her growing within you and coming out and being healthy and the person she is. Yeah. It's it's a miracle story on both sides in my world, the way I see it. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, you've got to take your credit where credit is due. <laughs> you did good for her. <laughs> so. So, is there any specific patient that sort of sticks in your mind and you just go back and say, Oh, I just love this person, or my experience with this person or this family was amazing and catalytic to change for me because of something they said or did?
2: Yeah, I was um, really drawn to the elderly male population because at home their wives are probably run ragged looking after them. <laughs> but when they're in hospital, they like, no, it's all right, dear. I'll do it. I'll do it. But on a sad note, there is one gentleman and it goes back to the regrets in life. Really. He had always held in his truth all his life. He hadn't said that I don't want to marry that girl. I don't want to inherit that business. He'd always been a people pleaser, like kept his words and his truth in to please others. You can hear now my voice that it still touches me now, but um, and then he was only like probably my age that I am now, like 45, and he got diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Oh. And so he was to have his voice box removed, he was going to have his voice taken away. And it's stuck with me for years, Marla, because it's like almost as if like you didn't use your voice and we're going to take it anyway. And I just, ah, uh, just the pain sometimes, do you know what I mean? The irony. That he never used his voice, and then he couldn't, and then it was just trying to, you know, as I said earlier, trying to pull in all those people. He wanted to say, "I'm sorry, I love you," too, you know, starting to live his truth before his words were taken. And it's just, if you don't learn from that, you know, well, to what talk will you about him, min-
1: yeah, that's that. Oh my God, and and the reality of it is, is because he didn't use his voice, that's why he got sick there. Yeah. You know, on a metaphysical level, that's how, you know, metaphysicians would look at the fact that if he didn't, you know, speak his voice, he didn't stand up for himself, he didn't, you know, really speak his mind in any way, shape or form, then, then, of course, that would be an area of weakness. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. So, but he made it okay? I honestly don't know. Honestly, don't know.
2: Yeah, because they'd come to us for like chemotherapy and then they go off. I really hope he did really hope he did, but yeah, he's stuck with me. And I say, even now I get choked up about, you know, the cruelness in it almost that he didn't use his voice because it was kind of generational. Oh, okay. You know, where you just go out and you earn the money, you marry the first girl you meet, a bit like Disney, but not quite so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you have to marry the girl from the village and an honest person. So it's quite generational. You didn't speak out. You just said, you know, do what your parents told you to. I'm not that generation. I'm sure my mom will vouch for that.
1: (laughs) Well, that sounds a whole lot, like a whole lot of repression for that gentleman. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my wish for him, and maybe he's listening. Maybe he recognizes the name and he's listening. (laughs) And if he is, I'm going to invite him to start practicing using his voice in a different way. Yeah. Because he still has a voice. He still has the ability to communicate. Yeah. So maybe this is sort of like, your catalyst, whomever you are, to start actually talking your feelings, speaking speaking those words and not having to wait till something ter- horrific happens before you do it again, yeah, yeah, you know? well thank you for sharing that that's that's so touching, and so you are a speaker. What do you talk about in your speeches? <laughs> death, mostly death <laughs> yeah, I'm really passionate.
2: It kind of goes back to earlier, like when my dad died, I wouldn't see why I was dealt that lesson. But I I get it now because people don't talk about death. And I just want people to use the word death, not loss. You know, there are many deaths in life. There are losses like loss of job, direction, money, health, things like that. But people don't talk about death. And I'm like, you know, I think we all, well, a lot of us, I know I've certainly been there. I don't like uncertainty and death's our only certainty. And yet we avoid it. Like if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. (laughs) And I just want people to talk openly about death, their fears of death, like, you know, to make people, you know, like you have a birth plan in a pregnancy. I'd like people to have a death plan. You know, how would you like to go? Would you like the beautiful example you said earlier about the music playing and the fragrances and who's present, what intervention you want, what you don't want. And so, yeah, I talk about death and try and encourage people to use the term death, dying, rather than loss and, uh, you know, the passing over. I think we just kind of dilute the poignancy of it.
1: I mean, you know, I'm listening to you and I always use the word transition because I look at death um, and, yes, there are death of, you know, like like losing a relationship, losing a job. There is a death because you go through a mourning process. Yeah. But I always say transition because, uh, you know, the soul never dies, as you well know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the soul, the spirit, that continues. This body that we're, we're in, that's just a temporary shell. And at some point, the shell will fall away like a peanut. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, we'll continue on and then we'll have our next lesson in growth. And that's my perspective on it. So oh, I love that transition. I'll be throwing that into my next speech and I'll copyright <laughs> you at the bottom. <laughs> Bye, Marla Goldberg. <laughs> <Whilst> <laughs> wearing our T-shirts. <laughs> Wait, another T-shirt. <laughs> Hashtag transition. It's a good thing. <laughs> but I think I would show, share with you, I used to be, you know, like everybody else, afraid of dying and afraid of death. And I be through my education and through, you know, And going through, I went through a death and rebirth process in my first school and it made me realize that death is only not great for the people left behind because the people who transition, who pass on, they're in a great place. There's no pain, there's no illness, there there are no wrinkles, there are no, you know, extra back fat or anything like (laughs) that. i'm going <laughs> <laughs> you know you're just this amazing spirit and all everything is left behind it's just for the people because most people have regret they don't say goodbye they don't tell somebody they love them when they have the opportunity and then they're gone and it's like gee i wish i could have said it one more time i yeah i would think that that's one of those regret things too that you might have experienced
2: yeah, not speaking your truth. And it is just to be, one of the regrets is just to be happier, which I find really sad that the dying used to tell us, you know, just be happier so people wouldn't celebrate their small wins and things like that. Yes. You know, you've got to blow your own trumpet sometimes.
1: <laughs> I, I believe it. I, I believe in blowing your own trumpet. And so let's blow our trumpets. When, and when we come back, we'll talk some more with Shelley um, about the death death what her experiences are as a nurse how she's worked with it um about her book i want to find out more about what's in her book and especially because i love the, the title about positive changes That self-kick book love it anyway we'll be back
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. My effing long journey to loving myself, a guide to a shorter path, is an account of Marla Goldberg's transformational journey and a guide to some of the most powerful TTTs, or tips, tools, and techniques that she learned along the way. These TTTs taught her how to release anger and learn how to forgive, ultimately finding total self-acceptance and self-love. Learn to release anger, frustration, and stress. Learn to forgive others and yourself. Go from self-loathing to self-love. Pick up your copy of Marla's book by visiting marlagoldberg.net. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment.
3: Tune in to lead up for women. your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com
0: You're listening to Guided Spirit Conversations to reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today. You're invited to call in to the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is conversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for sticking by through this break. Um, I'm talking to Shelly F. Knight. Shelley is a registered nurse, clinical the- hyp- hypnotherapist, a writer, a speaker. She is trained in a multitude of spiritual subjects and has written this a book, Positive Changes, a self-kick book, which I really like. So I wanted to get, tell you how to get a hold of Shelly. And her e- her email is Shelly F Knight. And Shelly is S-H-E-L-L-E-Y F Knight Shelley K-N-I-G-H-T. So not like night evening, night of the queen, you know, night like in the round table, uh, at gmail.com. And her website is www.shellyfnight again, dot com, And you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So, Shelly, welcome back. And it is charity shout-out time. So we are going to talk about your charity of choice, which is Oxford Hospital's Charity for Their Children's Hospital. That's and right. tell us about this hospital and why it's so near and dear so it's again it's part of the deity journey
2: we um was told by (laughs) a hospital we won't name um that she wasn't going to make it at all and we should terminate her but we went for a second opinion and it was at oxford children's hospital and they said whilst it was a really poor prognosis sometimes these babies make it and they took us on so the charity is the Children's Hospital at John Radcliffe over in Oxford who work with more unusual cases, the s- stranger <laughs> kind of ones, and they just monitor us weekly on the dire time, sometimes fortnightly from 20 weeks right through to the 40. And then for, or actually only until about last month, she's been under them all that time, even though she's now five. She still goes maybe six months to a year and she finally got discharged Recently, so um, that's why. Because without that hospital, we wouldn't have a Daisy. I think my life would fall very incomplete.
1: (laughs) That is such a milestone for Daisy and for you and your husband. And to support the hospital, the Oxford Hospitals. The website is www.hospitalcharity.co.uk. Backslash pages backslash category backslash children's hospital so look into it try and, and help this hospital keep doing these miraculous efforts for people who come with very sad prognos- prognosises for you know their children their life and how they can help them is that is that is that saying that properly yeah, no, it's brilliant because I think when you go to
2: hospital, you think they're all the same. But actually, if I'd have stuck with hospital number one, we wouldn't have our completed family. So, you know, just driving a little while down the road, you have someone has that. We were told at the time, um, we were given a glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope was all we had. And we clung to it like mad, Myla, (laughs) absolutely clung to it. But they were right, she did make it. I mean, she had major surgery uh, four months um, and her organs are a bit wonky-donky, as we say here in the UK, a bit wonky-donky, not quite in the right place. But, you know, they saved her and probably saved me and my husband in the process and many which, other children we're unaware of.
1: Yeah, it's like the children's hospital in the States. We have it's like St. Jude's, which is um, the people who go there don't pay for their children's care. Okay. And it's children with a lot of diseases but a lot of cancer and – I mean, they don't pay for food, lodging, travel, and they're there, you know, if they take on the case. And there are many hospitals like that around the world that are just places where lots of miracles happen. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That was another, I was thinking about another charity, and it's the Ronald McDonald House Charities, because whilst people always poo-poo McDonald's, actually, they do a lot of charity work, and it was through them that we actually got to stay with her because it wasn't close to where we
1: live. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Well And you've had, you have had some amazing support through this journey of yours with Daisy. Yeah you know, Yeah, I just I mean, the Oxford hospital is Ronald McDonald, I, and I'm sure everybody else rallied around you for this because this is, this is not a small something, in my opinion. No,
2: it, you say, as I was saying earlier, like the friendships change. And I think, you know, friendships are meant to change. I think psychologists now say we have about 400 friendships over our lifespan. And I think I lost probably a good double figures during the Daisy journey. You know, people just thought, I don't know if I can say the right thing,
1: do the right thing. Don't know, you know, good luck on
2: your journey as they
1: disappear. And but, some people, you know. like, if you've got a challenge, they don't want to be around for it. They're like good no. time friends.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So That's yeah. Fun. yeah. yeah, <laughs> Let's, I want to go back to your book quickly. Tell us more about the positive changes. You know, what's in the content that, what do you teach people or what are you trying to show people with the, with the book and, and how to give themselves a self-kick?
2: <laughs> so it's quite forthright, as you can tell from the title, it's self-kick, not a self-help. And I <laughs> never resonate with books that have my way or the highway there's only one way of teaching I just think I don't know we just you know like I've been married to my husband now for over 10 years but you'll still say some things I think that's really annoying so my books no one right way it's like 333 ish 333 mini chapters and some will say things to make you speed up and live life a little bit you know like take action but then another one will say slow down called Woe, Nelly. And it's like all, that. there's no one consistent theme. So some of them will say, slow down. Some will say, speed up. Some will say to have a positive day. Others will say, be realistic. If you're negative, have a negative day, give into it, go up your emotions. I talk a lot about self-love. To me, self-love or the relationship we have with ourselves is the most important in life. And that's quite hard to say because obviously I'm a mum and a wife and a daughter and a nurse and everything else. But actually I think the relationship we have with ourselves sets the standard for all the other relationships we accept. So I talk a lot about self-love, spending time with yourself, going on a date with yourself, um, relationship with your body, because obviously I hate my body during my many miscarriages prior to the Daisy journey when I'm, slightly angry with it for a while there. So talk about uh, body image, self-love, taking action, being negative, being positive, being nostalgic. What can you bring from the past? And one of the key messages is I think we all go through things in life. We all have different resilience, resilience, but what you don't know is that your story can help others, So, I encourage people to turn their mess into a message and to start speaking their truth,
1: start sharing how they come through it. I love that. Turn your mess into a message. I really like that. Oh, I did the same with my book. Yes.
2: (laughs) There you go. See, it
1: works. (laughs) (laughs) It does work. It truly does. And I love the fact that they're just like little vignettes, vignette charities, I mean, chapters that... Address so many different topics that we deal with, that we may or may not talk to somebody else about. And yeah, I'm, absolutely.
2: And I, when I was um, started to write the book, so I think I was still pregnant with Daisy at the time. And I just observe when I'm sitting there for these long hospital appointments, and all, you know, just the ticking time bomb of a bump that might might not make it. Everyone's just so busy, Marla, you know, like driving, walking, people eating on the go. I thought it's no point writing like a seven page chapter, it's not going to happen. So they're all like one page chapters, or there'll be a tool in there that like, I get you to write your own eulogy, like how you think people are going to remember you at the end of your life. Oh, that's powerful. I <laughs> get you to write a letter to Dear Body. So it's like tools, um, it's some of my old blogs. It's some of some of my childhood, that's entertaining in itself, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> and it's observations of life as a parent, as a daughter. So it's a real mishmash, but they're all like one to two pages because everyone's just so busy doing, isn't it? The whole human doing, not a human being kind of mentality.
1: Yes. And sometimes the human being mentality needs to be sort of corralled back in and remind yeah. people, you know, yourself that you're not here to just constantly fill it with other things you're here for enjoyment you're here for yourself as well absolutely yeah and i mean you are the epitome of a caretaker i mean when you think <laughs> about it nurse mother wife you know i'm daughter and in there's caretaking in all of those roles yeah it's, it's big so self-care i'm i'm a huge advocate of self-care Huge yeah. advocate, yeah. You because know, if you don't, t- it's the oxygen mask, you know, analogy. If yes. you got to put yours on first, because you can't help anybody if you're passed out. So. It's true, yeah.
2: But I think you really struggle as a parent. You always think like, well, I've had my eatings I've had a good life, i well, will sort everyone else out. But you know, but you need to, you know, pour in
1: for an empty cup and all that. You really have to look after yourself. That's true. So, Shelly, with this, I need to say thank you for being on the show. You have been wonderful. I'm looking at the time going. It's like, oh, my God, I have to get my goodbyes and my thank yous in. But if you want to get a hold of Shelly, shellyfknight at gmail.com. You can write to her or check out her website at shellyfknight.com. I want to thank Voice America, Matt, Jeff, Ryan, and most of all, Robert. I want to thank Teresa Scott-Reed, my assistant. She is my right arm and my left arm, and I'm daily grateful for her every single day. I want to thank you, the listening audience, for taking the time out of your life, out of your day to be listening to the show and resonating with what we're trying to do and what we want to share. And I hope it helps you in your daily life. just want to remind you my book, My Effing Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path, can be found on Ingram Spark, Amazon, or on my website. And I want to say I look forward to next week and to our show. And I send you love. I send you blessings. I send you gratitude. Till next week.